Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help you get unstuck so you can do what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner Khan, and today's episode is sponsored by SiteHub. I'm obsessed with risk mitigation and reduction. And so if I can have three or four businesses that make money, I'm excited to do that. Today on episode 480 of Smashing the Plateau, I'm here with speaker, author, and podcaster Jim Beach. I'm going to ask Jim how he overcame the challenge of shifting from his startup role to becoming the CEO with hundreds of employees across multiple locations and much more. Find out more about Jim along with all of our previous episodes at smashingtheplateau.com. Now, before we jump into this incredibly important topic with Jim, I want to tell you a little bit about how you can stand out from your competition. It's a noisy world out there. Your business is unique, and you want someone on your team who can really help you smash through the digital chaos and get noticed by your ideal customers. With the capabilities to meet all of your marketing needs, SiteHub can make your unique vision come to life. At the end of this episode, you will have an opportunity to listen to SiteHub's CEO, Sean McKay, offer you tips to help you stand out in your marketplace. So make sure you listen all the way to the end to get Sean's marketing tip. And for my listeners, SiteHub is offering several free marketing tools to help you grow. You can get your free copy at smashingtheplateau.com slash SiteHub. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash SiteHub. Now let's welcome Jim Beach. Jim has started businesses and has taught entrepreneurship around the world. At the age of 25, Jim founded American Computer Experience and grew the company to $12 million in annual revenue and to over 700 employees, operating in 39 states and in three countries. Jim taught entrepreneurship at Georgia State University for nine years and ranked number one in the business school for 12 straight semesters. Jim's first book, School for Startups, was published by McGraw-Hill. He's been featured in a UPS commercial. CNN called him the Simon Cowell of small business and corporations like Wells Fargo, Toshiba, UPS, and SunTrust have hired him as a speaker and consultant. Jim's award-winning radio show is nationally syndicated on 24 stations. Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Thank you. Uh, Great to have you on, Jim. So, Jim, so many businesses don't even last one year and fail to make any money. What's your secret? Well, I think the absolute key is finding, and this may sound trite, but finding out exactly who your customer is and doing something that appeals to them at a very, very emotional level. So the business that you were referring to with 700 employees, I was their customer, the original customer. I knew what my customer was feeling like. And eventually we could tell what kind of car they drove. You know, we had such a specific profile of our target customer and we knew that I could close, if I got a target customer on the phone in nine minutes, I could close that person with a 90% close rate because our offer was so absolutely perfectly designed for that, for that parent. In our case, it was almost always the mother and I could get her to cry probably by minute three or four as well. And I'm not kidding. And 
Oh, I'm glad you think that's funny. Let me explain, though. I, I'll explain. What we were selling, that was childhood education, out-of-school, for-profit education. And we broke that down a lot of different ways. But the particular product that I was referring to was a summer camp for non-athletic kids. We taught movie editing and computer skills and website design and all of this back in the early nineties before this was sort of, you know, passe. And our target customer was not on the football team, not a lacrosse player, not a cheerleader, not involved in the drama program, did not currently have a best friend, considered a loner, slightly unhappy, very smart. That was our target customer. There's a lot of words for that. You could say dork or whatever. I was certainly a dork as a child. And we would go to the mother and say, look, I was that as a child. And listen to how outgoing I am now. And I'm happy and I'm married and I have kids. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to teach your child that smart, what your child is, is cool. And I'm going to give your kid a best friend. Your kid's going to come home from my program with a best friend smiling. And that kind of an offer to a parent of an unhappy child, there's no way they can resist that, is there? Let's be honest. How could you as a parent resist the opportunity for your child to smile for the first time? Right. And particularly if if you were that kind of kid, you really understood that. Exactly. And so I could connect with the parent, as I said, within three or four minutes. Jim, why did you start that business? I got fired from the corporate world. I wanted to be the CEO of Coca-Cola and Coca-Cola decided to escort me to the door. And that was the end of my corporate career at the age of 23 and didn't know what I wanted to do, but everything that I was trained to do, I didn't want to do. And so I decided to start a business and wanted to go back and get some more schooling. And that was expensive. So I, I said, I'm going to start a summertime business. And I made a list of all of the summer businesses that I could think of. And I didn't really like any of those businesses. It was one of them though, David was summer camps. And I used to go to summer camp as a kid and it had done me some good, I think. And so I started off with a summer camp at Stanford and MIT. We had 96 students the first year, did $56,000 in revenue. And unbelievably, we spent $56,000 in, in expenses. But we lived to fight until year two, and that business grew until 700 employees with 90 locations. So the model worked because, well, one thing was I was the first salesman. And this is a huge piece of advice, I think. Sort of one of my pet peeves. The worst thing an entrepreneur can do is outsource the sales process at the beginning of the business because then you're not the one out there hearing the customer's objections. You're not the one face-to-face -face with the customer or on the telephone trying to pitch. And we got really good at pitching that product. As I said, I could make the mother cry. And it was because I, as the entrepreneur, was 100% answering every telephone call, responding to every single email and letter, and there every single day, every single hour for the first four years. And so I was able to connect with the customer because I spent a lot of time with them. Yeah. How many hours did you work those first four years? 
within a 18 months of starting, we were operating year round, some sort of educational program happening every day of the year, every day of the year, because kids are off on Christmas and the 4th of July and parents love to get rid of them. And so we, we were in business. So I, I never took a day off for years, <laughs> seven years, not a single day off. David is the answer. Wow. So it sounds like you had a lot of stamina too. Well, I was young and it was a lot of fun. You know, my work involved shaving cream fights and movies in the quad and going to Disney World with 49 busloads of kids. You know, fun things. It wasn't miserable. You know, it's uh, fun things. When movie actors say how hard they're working, I go, looks to me like you're having a lot of fun. You know, I don't get that. But it was that kind of a job. I loved what I did. And I got amazing letters in the mail uh, a month after the program saying, you're right. My kid's happy now and has a best friend. You know, the best friend's not in the same middle school. He's in the, the town next door. But at least my kid now has someone to play with. And those sort of letters can keep you very happy for a long time and very motivated. On the other hand, I had a meeting one time with my insurance agent and he's give me the numbers for the next year. He said, and I started giving him the numbers and he broke out his calculator. And a couple of minutes later, his head popped up and said, 36 broken legs this summer. Are you ready for that? statistically, the number of kids that you are going to be having at 90 locations, all you're going to have a bunch of hospital visits. What's your policy for that? And that became not so fun when you start to have an incident a day when my job was no longer taking care of kids and having fun with shaving cream fights, but dealing with the hospital visit du jour. You know what I mean? Yeah. And also when you, in the beginning, when you have a small number of employees and you are the only salesperson and you're interacting with every single customer, it's one thing. And you're involved in every single program, it's one thing. When you have 700 employees and you are spending your time not interacting with every single customer, it's very different. Yes, yes. Just dealing with the fires of the day. And I mean that literally. We had fires and floods and... We had one time when there, our computer center was underneath an ice skating rink and the ice skating rink started to melt and drip into our computers, you know, so <laughs> all sorts of fun little things like that. Right. Things that you, you know. didn't imagine when you first launched, I'm sure. No. And I, if you want to hear the number one worst story was a young woman knocked on my door at two o'clock in the morning and just stood there. And I was like, what's, what can I help you with? What's the matter? And she really couldn't talk. And somehow I was smart enough to say, do you need to go to the pharmacy? And she did. And she was having her very first experience with, uh, you know, becoming, uh, that, you know, that special joy that a woman has every month. And here I am 26 years old having to deal with that in the middle of the night. You know, that has to become a policy because now I have 89 locations, 89 people who work for me running locations that have to be able to deal with that in the middle of the night. So we have to write down a policy on that. And Jim, how long did you have that business? Uh, eight years, mm -hmm. eight years. And then we've sold it. Yeah. And what, what made you decide to sell it? The, the situation I'm already describing, the 
constantly having something to worry about that does involve whether a child goes home alive or not. It was pretty stressful. And it had had its run, too. It was at a great place to exit. The venture capitalists were excited about it. It was perfectly positioned. It had online component with the cool brick and mortar. But the brick and mortar was Stanford, MIT, Georgetown, UCLA, Emory, SMU, Sorbonne, Cambridge, Oxford places like that, that you didn't have to pay for when you weren't using. So the model was very, very attractive to the venture capitalist. We had an incredible situation where our cost in a particular location would plummet after year one, and the revenue would explode because of word of mouth and that kind of thing. And so it was a, a great time to get out. And here's another lesson to, to share. So Number one, be there. Number two, be ready to get out. There is a time when you are ready to, or the business is ready to be sold and given to somebody else to run for a while. And there's some really great research on that right now that a lot of that happens. Uh, Steve Little, as a matter of fact, has done this research that says it's between 18 and 24 months. If you have a technology business, you need to be exiting your highest ROI is going to be in that 18 to 24 month period. And in this business it was that was our time. You know, we had good offers and it made good sense. There was good people to come in and replace us. Uh, the cheerleading camp people, the only kid education thing bigger than us was going to be taking us over. Uh, it made a lot of sense in the business, the personal, the financial and I was ready to move on. It wasn't something I anticipated doing my entire life. It was seven-year itch. I was ready to move on. Right. So you said 18 to 24 months is the ideal time, but you sold after seven years. Right. Well, you know, I hadn't done that, that research. I wasn't aware <laughs> of that research at the time. And I don't think it was true for our business. Uh, you know, that's Steve Little is describing a, a website business today, you know, an online business of some variety. And our business was all, you know, 20 years ago, and it also had very different components. It had a substantial uh, physical presence, though that physical presence moved around sort of like the circus. We had trucks full of computers on highways almost all the time, moving from place to place, for example. Mm. So Jim, fast forward to today. How do you spend your time now? Well, now I try to do everything I teach, which is some revenue diversification, multiple income streams. I do believe that that is the best thing that an entrepreneur can do. I'm obsessed with risk mitigation and reduction. And so if I can have three or four businesses that make money, I'm excited to do that. So right now I'm involved. Let's see. I have, I'm flipping a house. Uh, a big one, uh, you know, the expensive flip like you would see on TV. I'm also doing micro flips, houses that I buy for under $5,000 and sell for $15,000 and make triple your money in a month type situations with very low risk. So I like that. I don't like the big flip because there's a lot of risk right there, but these micro flips are really cool. Uh, I just didn't got a patent on a paint that blocks Wi-Fi signals. And you would use that in a baby's nursery. France, the country of France has banned Wi-Fi within 200 
any school because Wi-Fi has been proven by National Institute of Science and Technology and a whole bunch of people to be the single most destructive thing for the development of a baby's brain. And so we have developed a paint that you paint the baby's nursery with, and it blocks Wi-Fi signals for the safety of the baby. I do a lot of public speaking. I write some books. I do some radio, and that's a a positive income stream for me as well. Do a little consulting. So I try to mix it up with a lot of things, David, and have a lot of income streams. And it's also a lot more fun that way. I get to bounce around from thing to thing. Yeah. And how do you maintain enough focus on one thing at a time in order to have them generate as much profit as possible? I don't. I'm horrible at that, and that is my biggest flaw. Several years ago, I diagnosed with a fairly uh, bad condition. Uh, I do have shiny ball syndrome, David, and if it's shiny and it's twirling in front of me, I run to it. I do, and my wife yells at me and tries to get me to limit things, and you're right. I am leaving money on the table because I'm not invested enough in each of them. If I were to focus on something, I would do I would be really smart. But last week, David, someone came to me with the single best name for a man's cologne that I've ever heard. And I am the last person in a billion years I will never use cologne. Uh, I just don't do that, right? But this is a really good name for cologne. And so I'm thinking of starting a men's cologne company because the name is so good. Now, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? <laughs> um, but it sounds like in spite of the fact that you may have a shiny ball s- syndrome, that you have um, managed to work pretty successfully towards your goals. I think so. I do have a pretty good ability to multitask. I'm pretty good at that. I also am, I have another addiction that I would uh, be willing to talk about. I'm 100% addicted to Upwork.com. And the outsourcing is cool at first when you're sort of just playing with it. I'm to the point now I have 10, 11 different things being outsourced at any given moment and have had huge success with it, Uh, eventually developing uh, really great relationships with people that I've never met and don't know a single thing about, but know that they can do this blank for me in the next hour for $9. And uh, I spend... I spend an hour a day managing the production of outsourced stuff. I will take a transcript, roughly edit it, send it to someone, have them polish it. I'll then read it for three or four minutes, send it to someone else to proofread. And that's called a book that I've spent 20 minutes on or something. You know, you get a whole bunch of radio shows and that's a book every year, right? no more time than producing the radio show in the first place. Where do you see, so outsourcing is something that has really gained a lot of steam in the recent past. Where do you see it headed? Uh, eventually it, you know, it becomes the driver of most people's careers. And I do believe that things called jobs uh, become rarer and rarer. So 
why would I need to hire someone as a small business owner if I can simply outsource and then not have the liabilities, the health insurance costs, and have to worry about vacation schedules, right? So many of the hard parts of being an entrepreneur disappear this way like the liability and the health insurance and right. stuff like that. And so why won't more and more and more people do this? Uh, eventually this becomes, I don't know, a third of the economy. Uh, you know, we still have to have some people with jobs at big companies like Coca-Cola, but even they are starting to outsource more and more, uh, of course. So I think that if you're graduating college right now and I have a 22-year-old son just about to graduate and move into the working world. I'm trying to tell him, you need to have a lot of skills and be really good at promoting yourself, or you need to be the entrepreneur that's hiring everybody else. And that seems to me to be the best option. So let's talk some about that. Yeah, actually, I'd love to go a little deeper there and talk, Jim, about somebody who's not 22, but somebody who might be mid-career, let's say between the ages of 45 and 60 who sees what's going on in the world and realizes that employment, the way he or she is currently experiencing it, is probably not going to continue long enough. Let's dig a little deeper. What options do they have in terms of either, if it's either promoting themselves and being the one that hires these outsourced workers or becoming the outsourced worker himself or herself, where do you see people like that having a future? Well, let me say one thing. If you have a job, keep it, right? My biggest hope for you is to get fired. And I, I don't mean that as a joke. I would keep a job until I get fired. And let me explain the situation. So I do believe that you need to start diversifying your income. It is so possible and so likely that as you hit 59, right, it seems to happen a lot to 59-year-olds. You get downsized, right-sized, outsourced, you know, layoffs, whatever the word for it is. And you need to be prepared for that for some sort of income that you can do into your 70s, right? With us living to be 93 now, we need to plan on having income a lot longer, I believe. And I think that we need to start transitioning. So I like the flipping of the houses. I think that those sort of jobs are really good. My wife has an Amazon business that I I absolutely love, David. Zero creativity. We bought a book and we did what the book said. So zero creativity, zero risk. We spent $500 to start this business and made $78,000 in the first year. As a part-time side gig, my wife did this while still working, while still raising four children and two big dogs, and cooking dinner every night. And I'll tell you something, her husband is a real pain in the butt, right? And so that model works. I've seen too many models where you can gig your way into a part-time job. If you're a marketer right now, you should start a part-time marketing business that doesn't conflict too much with your current job and start going and getting some weekend and some nighttime work and building that resume. And my goal is eventually that business starts taking so much of your time that then you take up smoking. 
And then you think I'm crazy, David, but I'm serious. I, all entrepreneurs need to smoke because what that allows is that allows you to go outside and take a break every hour or two, which really means you're on your phone doing your business as an entrepreneur. And eventually your boss figures out you're not really smoking. You're an entrepreneur. You're fired. And you say, I don't care. My business is a year and a half old now, and it's now ready to support me, and I'm ready to make the transition You've made the decision easy for me. I'm being a little facetious here, but not too much, David. Right. And and we do see that that these kinds of situations happen a lot to 59-year-olds. It's it's no joke. We do. It's no joke. And I, I had one on my radio show last week that she was laid off at 59 and a half. And I, you know, I it's just not right. Right. But it, it is the world, it's the reality. And so all of us need to go and start building that side gig. My wife, who is a corporate person, uh, needs to have her Amazon side business to do, to, you know, she did get fired last December from a great job where she was one of the number one producers. Why in the world do you fire a number one producer? She got a new job in under two weeks. You know, that's the way the market is now, and her skill set reflects that. But still, the Amazon business made it easy to sleep at night during that time. Absolutely. Jim, whom do you know personally who has done a really remarkable job of smashing the plateau? Well, I, I when you ask that question, I, a thousand different faces <laughs> come to mind. Uh, you know, there is a 14 year old kid in my neighborhood. And once a month, he goes to Costco and buys 100 pounds of salmon, and he comes home and he smokes the salmon and delivers it with this incredible dill sauce, and it's the best appetizer. You, know, you have it in your fridge for two or three weeks, and you get some Ritz crackers and some wheat thins and some salmon and some dill sauce, and he's making $3,000 a month as a 14-year-old, David. That is a great example. Thanks, that, for, thanks for sharing that, that Jim. That is smashing the the uh, the plateau. You know how cool will that look on a resume? Yeah, I don't think he's going to need a resume. You know, I mean, who's going to want to hire that person? Everyone's going to want to hire that person. You know, because he's demonstrated already that he's capable of doing this. So, I, I teach Indian high school kids. You know, American, uh, no, you know, Indian from India whose parents moved here. They're part of an organization called TIE, the Indian uh, Entrepreneur Organization, TIE. Mm -hmm. And they have a subgroup called TYE for the youth, the Indian youth. And I teach them. One of those kids was the kid that invented the paint that I was talking about. And the two of us got the patent together. Right. So I had the idea and he went into his garage. This is a 16 year old kid, goes to high school. He's a sophomore and he got together and started mixing stuff together until we could figure out something that blocks Wi-Fi. That is smashing the plateau. Yeah, that's a great another great example. Jim, what's coming up in the near future for you? Oh, well, I got to I got to sell me some paint. Right. Got to figure out if a cologne business is worth starting or not. Got to put a roof on this house that I'm flipping, right? Got a new book coming out soon, a book of fiction, entrepreneurial fiction. It's an entrepreneurial thriller, sort of like The Firm, but with entrepreneurs instead of horrible lawyers. 
Uh, I'm stroking all of the income streams, David. Got to keep them all, all the balls in the air, right? Sounds great. And do you have a free gift you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah, you know, it's something we really haven't brought up yet, but let me just say this really fast. I, when my first book came out, I was published by McGraw-Hill. I thought that I was going to have a publicity tour that they were going to help. And in the end, they did absolutely nothing. And I had to go out there and promote the book by myself. And in the end, I did end up getting on CNN. I got a UPS commercial. I had 200 interviews on radio, some big radio, national radio, and some small podcasts and everything in between. Then I did it all myself. And I wrote a book on how to do that. You can go to get the book. It's called Free Radio and Podcast Marketing in 30 Minutes. In 30 Minutes, it'll teach you everything you need to know to get on podcast and radio. But one of the things that that book teaches you is how to build a list and how to find 500 radio shows or podcasts to go on and to be a guest there and to get free marketing with. Well, what I've done is I've built massive lists list of the podcast name, the host name, the host email address, the URL, and in a lot of cases, the telephone number. If you email me or hit me up on LinkedIn, yeah, just hit me up on LinkedIn, tell me what list you want. I have a Thousands of relationship shows, thousands of spirituality shows, thousands of sports shows, thousands of small business shows, thousands of other shows that I can help get you on. Buy my $6 book, read it. I'll send you the list in your industry, and you can get on hundreds of shows totally for free to promote your product. Sounds like a great gift. And Jim, if somebody wants to go deeper with anything we've talked about today, where would they go? Uh, they can go to jimbeach.com. Again, hit me up on LinkedIn. I'll connect with anybody. You can listen to my podcast at schoolforstartupsradio.com. And if, yeah, all of those work. I, I'm available all of those uh, platforms. Sounds great. Well, Jim, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today on Smashing the Plateau. It's been a great discussion. We covered a lot of ground in a short amount of time. I really appreciate your time. My guest today has been speaker, author, and podcaster, Jim Beach. Thank you again, Jim, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. Do you want to do a better job of smashing through the digital chaos and getting noticed by your ideal customers? I'd like to share this tip by Sean McKay, the CEO of SiteHub. So we talked before about the pillars of modern marketing, ARC. Well, let's talk about a little bit more what happens if you miss any one of these pieces. So let's say you have a really good funnel set up. You know, your, your awareness, your ads are really solid. And your reputation is good too because you've been around for a long time. But maybe your website's not so great. So what happens? People find your ads, they get sucked in, they do a little bit of research on you. And then they go to your website and start scratching their heads thinking they must be at the wrong place. So what do they do? They find someone else who offers your product or service. Your ad sold them on the idea of buying it, but they didn't buy from you because of your website. So they go to your competitor and guess what? You've paid for your competitor's advertising. So this is why you need to make sure that all three areas are really perfect before you start going to market. Thank you, Sean. For Sean's free resources to learn how you can apply what you've heard to your business, go to smashingtheplateau.com slash sitehub. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash sitehub. 
Please share this episode with friends and colleagues to help them smash the plateau. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.